Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. Something um, that can be both fascinating funny, and sad, and even at times disturbing, is actually listening to people talk about uh, their faith and their explanations of the universe. It it doesn't take very long to discover how little people really know about the Bible, and yet they state their beliefs with such confidence. Uh, Sometimes that comes out in funny, warped ways. I don't know if you remember a couple years ago, there was a guy who uh, wrote this book, Living Biblically, and then the sitcom in 2018 came out around that same theme, trying to grab onto the idea. The author of the book uh, described himself as a, he's, he's a self-declared agnostic Jew. And he described himself this way, saying, I'm Jewish to the same degree that Olive Garden is Italian. For one year, this guy tried to take all the laws in the Bible and literally live them out. He stopped wearing uh, clothing, clothing of mixed fibers. He stopped cutting his hair and ended up looking like a ZZ, ZZ Top wannabe guy. He refused to shake hands with women on their, that he thought might be on their period. Uh, maybe the funniest of them all is he would sometimes sit and flick pebbles at people he suspected were adulterous to try to live out the command to stone adulterers. It drove his wife nuts and uh, nearly wrecked his marriage. We actually tried watching the Living Biblically sitcom. It, it, it was funny at times, but obviously it wasn't funny enough to be renewed for season two. The Bible, unknowingly to many, is one of the most quoted books in all of history. In fact, I, I'd submit to you that rarely a week goes by that you or a friend don't quote a phrase from the Bible, a famous phrase from the Bible for yourself. And here's kind of a list of just a few of the famous phrases. You can jump on down. You've got the blind leading the blind. You've got the whole idea of the scapegoat that comes from the Bible, the extra mile. Uh, you've got the, you know, the, the, the good Samaritan on the other column. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you is actually made popular by the Bible. Uh, you reap what you sow. Do not judge lest you be judged. One of the most favorite quotes of everybody in America today. And we may say these phrases, but we often don't actually know that they're from the Bible. And if we do know that they're from the Bible, most people who quote them don't actually know what the Bible actually teaches about them. The sad thing is most Americans, according to the studies, who reject Christianity do so without actually even really knowing what Christianity and the Bible teach. Rejecting Christianity on what they think they know is kind of like my kids when they were younger saying, I don't like pizza, but they'd never tried pizza. Now it's one of their favorites when we finally got them to try it. Ed Stetzer, a leading researcher on the uh, on writer on Christianity and the church in America, says it this way. He says, study after study in the last quarter century has revealed that the American Christians, this is not Americans in general, this is American Christians, increasingly don't read their Bibles, don't engage in their Bibles, and don't know their Bibles. It's obvious, he says, not only are we living in a post-Christian world in America, we are living in a post-biblically literate culture. 
Yet when asked, 90% of people who attend church say, I desire to please and honor Jesus in all I do. In other words, most Christians want to be mature followers of Jesus. Yet even though reading the Bible consistently has the strongest correlation to spiritual maturity, 53% of Americans uh, have, never, have read very little, if any, of the Bible. And only 9% of Americans have put in the effort to study it in any kind of intentional, systematic, thorough way. In fact, last year, over 35% of Americans didn't even read the Bible once. That's up 10 percentage points from just a few years ago. But those are just stats. The stats can just kind of feel like they're out there. But, but this is a really, really personal issue for every single one of us. I was having a conversation a while back with a really kind, intelligent young man, and he was bringing up all his objections to Christianity. But the problem was his objections to the Bible were what he believed about God and the Bible, imposing that on what the Bible says instead of listening to what the Bible actually teaches and about God and the world. He was imposing his own reality on God, not allowing himself to actually see through the lens of the Bible, through the lens of God's perspective, who he says he is. That's like me accusing you of believing contrary to what I believe without ever asking you what you believe. Right? Understanding the Bible is really no different than understanding others in life. If you really want to understand your spouse or your boss or somebody when you're having a conflict, you have to understand their perspective in order to understand them. It's unfair to judge someone by imposing your perspective and motive on them. It would be like Wendy uh, believing that I hated Wendy because I gave her a gift she didn't like uh, when all that really means is I just lack fashion sense. It doesn't mean I hate her, I just don't know fashion. See, what a recent Pew study uh, shows about us and the way we describe the value of the Bible is this. It says, you know, that number one reason, good source of morals, that number one reason is it's partially true. The Bible does teach morals, good and evil, right and wrong. But that isn't the primary purpose of the Bible. And if you read it that way, you're going to end up living biblically, uh, having a permanent no-shave November and flicking pebbles at people while you watch your kids at the park. And, and yes, there is valuable history in the Bible, but it's not primarily a historical book. It is true, but the question is, what is truth? Most pick and choose what they want to be true from the Bible and take things out of context rather than reading it through the lens of the Bible again. And yes, the Bible is old and outdated in its customs, but were those customs the primary message that God wanted to give? No, in in many circumstances it wasn't the primary message. The meaning is deeper than the customs. And are there bigoted things in the Bible? Well, yeah, there are bigoted things in the Bible. And there are still other things in the Bible that look bigoted, but we really think they're that way just because we actually misunderstand them. And so what's the message of the Bible around those things? And some of those things that we think are bigoted in the Bible are are simply things we don't like where the boundary is drawn. So we choose to redraw the boundary to what we think is morally acceptable. But we still have the boundaries. No matter where you draw the moral line, 
whoever is on the outside of that moral definition is easily going to be able to call you a bigot because you exclude them. See, the Bible and how we think about God, even if you don't think rightly about it, defines right and wrong for you. It defines good and beautiful to you. How you think about the Bible and God defines your anxiety, your stress, and your worry. Just think about the last time you felt like God was against you, uncaring, not answering prayer, leaving you alone in the middle of a difficulty, and you were angry. How you think about God has a lot to do with your emotions and your beliefs whenever you are facing, especially when you're facing difficult things. How you think about God will affect the quality of your marriage, your parenting, your work, your recreation, your finances. It will affect why you do what you do and why you don't do certain things. And, and here's another powerful truth that the Pew Research discovered, that those who believe God and the Bible see God as loving at a far greater rate than those people who believe in God but don't trust the Bible. You can go down the list of the mostly positive things in this list and, and you can see that those who believe in the Bible have more hope in God's goodness and more confidence in that God is with them than those who don't. The more you believe in and trust the Bible, the more you see God as loving and good. So here's a question if you don't trust the Bible, if you're really unsure about this, and I get that, that's a legitimate thing to feel, right? If you don't trust the Bible... What is it about all those people who have, that they have, what is, what is it that they've discovered and experienced that maybe you haven't if you don't trust the Bible? What if most of the beliefs that drive your distrust of the Bible are not what the Bible teaches? They're you imposing your own views upon it. Beyond that, what if most of your anxiety, your stress, your worry about the world, your anger about the world, and, and even more personally, what if most of your negative thoughts about yourself, that you think about yourself, are fueled by thoughts that are not biblical, are not true about God, and are not God's truth about you and life? See, if Jesus is possibly God... And as loving and as good as the people who know God's word best say he really is, and as we said on Christmas, if that God is so intent to come close to us, to know us in Jesus, that he would come as a baby, then what are you willing to do to get to know him? What are you willing to do to really, truly understand the Bible, God's word? As we've been praying about what God wanted us to focus on in 2020, we felt very strongly that delving into knowing more this, this, the, the, the overarching narrative, the big themes and the stories of the Bible was really important. So today we start a series that we're going to kind of revisit throughout the whole year called One Big Story. And we've always been focused on the Bible. We work really hard to make sure that we have a solid text and solid explanations of the text from which our lessons for life come. But Jeremy, Wendy, and I really felt we needed to do this kind of big cover-to-cover -cover look grow, to grow in order to grow as people and as a church. So that's what we're going to do. And in that process, I think we're going to understand how to understand the Bible better. 
Uh, certainly, we're not going to clarify everything. I mean, God is God, and there's more than a lifetime of depth and learning to gain from this book. But, but here's what I think can happen in your life, my life, and all of our lives if we engage in this. By the end of the year, all of us can have a much stronger faith. All of us can have a more hopeful disposition in the face of disappointment and difficulty. And we will know God and how he works and how he loves us so much better. And we'll know how to love other people like him so much better. Your life can be, could possibly be a night and day difference. Better by the end of the year. If you will do this journey with us. Uh, so a cool thing happened just a couple of days ago. Wendy was looking at the web and doing some stuff. And we, she actually ran across the fact that there's actually about 20,000 churches who have decided to do this year. We didn't know that, but it's kind of cool that now that we know it to be a part of something bigger. There's 20,000 churches doing this this year. So let's jump into what I think is one of the greatest love poems ever written. It's Psalm 119. And it's a love poem about Scripture. We're just going to read a few verses. I really encourage you to go home and read the whole thing this afternoon and spend some time meditating on, meditating on it this week. Verse 1 starts this way. It says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 14. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much in all as in all riches. Verse 41, let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Verse 99, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. See, the author of this great poem refers to Scripture as testimonies, as commandments, as God's promise, as God's law. We'll see a little later. He refers to it as the lamp that lights our path, uh, the precepts. It's God's word, he says. This is God's word. You cannot find anywhere in this book of Scripture any reference to the Bible as being a collection of human thoughts about God. Rather, It is God revealing himself to us through the pen of his servants. Today we're going to talk about three main points about the Bible's value that comes out in this psalm. The first one is this. The Bible is God's words to us. Now, you might think, well, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not really sure about what's written in the Bible. And yet, here's what Jesus says about the Bible. Matthew 5, he says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, which they haven't passed away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. John 10, 35, Jesus says, Scripture cannot be broken. What he's basically saying there is you might break yourself against Scripture, others might break themselves against it, but Scripture itself is true, reliable, cannot be broken. In Matthew twenty two twenty nine, Jesus tells the religious leaders, that they are wrong because they don't understand the Scriptures. They're imposing their view. They're not understanding the Scriptures rightly or, he says, the power of God. Jesus refers in his teachings to the historical Adam and Eve. He talks about Noah and Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah and many other things. He quotes the Old Testament prophets and the passages from the Old Testament and he never once 
never once questions the reality or the validity of any of these events or passages. Rather, he takes them as God's truth, as God's words to us. Nowhere do you find Jesus being the one to dismiss, much less correct, Scripture. He always values it as God's word, as God's reliable truth to us. Now, Jesus does often correct interpretation, but God's word is God's word, and he always values it. So if you know Jesus, then you also know Scripture is reliable. Otherwise, you don't really know Jesus fully yet. Now, if you believe the Scripture we have today is not the scripture as it was written, that it's been corrupted over the centuries so we can't trust it. I don't have time to go into all the explanation that I've done on this in the past, but might I just simply suggest to you that you go home and you research the science of historical criticism applied to the Bible. What you will find is the Bible has indeed been preserved. Scientists who have studied the text from the earliest ones we have to the latest ones have proven that the text we have today is over 98% accurate to the originals, and it is 100% accurate in all of the substantive matters. Yes, I know intelligent people have said otherwise. But did your physics professor really study it without bias? Because even atheist scholars who have really studied it from this perspective will tell you what we have today is 100% accurate in all of its meaning to the original that was written. But you might also think, how can something written by imperfect humans be God's pure truth? That's a good question. It's a question you should ask. If you ask that question, can I, can I respectfully ask you another question? How big is God? Specifically, how big is your God? Do you really think that the God who can create all that exists, all the galaxies, all the way down to the DNA that turns us into human beings, to the subatomic particles, that that God is so small and so weak that he cannot influence things in a way to reliably communicate with us? I mean, here's the deal. Our, our, our thinking becomes kind of duplicitous on this because when things are going really bad in our life, we often blame God and say, God's causing this to happen. But when it comes to this, we don't believe that he can cause that to happen. Isn't that kind of funny the way we argue sometimes? If your God can't ensure accurate communication through Scripture, then your God is actually rather small, don't you think? Certainly, if God is the creator of all and as the Bible and Christianity teach, then his word is much bigger than us. He is, it is deeper, more intelligent than us, and we can take a lifetime learning it and still not know it all. And yes, you can have some of it be really hard to understand, and it is still reliable at the same time. We just need to learn to interpret it rightly and understand it rightly. The psalmist says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. See, God's word is true and reliable. It's something that comes from God, not from humans trying to describe God. It is, as Paul writes, God-inspired, God-breathed. If the Bible is reliably communicated truth to us, then it is the most important thing for us to know 
in order to know God and to follow God. It's the most important thing for us to know if we want a happy marriage, a great family, if we want to be successful and find meaning in work. If we want the most, it's the most important thing to define healthy to us. The Bible is the most important wisdom on the planet. If it isn't God's word, then read it however you want and take what you want and throw out what, what, what you want. But if you're here and you say, I don't really know which it is, is it really truly God's word? I, I don't think my explanation is going to convince anybody who wasn't convinced before they came in. But I, if I'm not sure if it is or, or if it's just human words, then, then I would encourage you to be a part of this series every week, in person or at least on Facebook, and read the Bible, study the Bible, meditate on it, and do it and see for yourself. If you do that, this could be the most exciting year of your life. I mean, how many of you remember the first time God came alive to you through reading the Bible? If you've never had that wonderful experience, then immerse yourself in the Bible and see how God becomes real to you. If it's God's Word, then the Bible both demands something of all of us, and it also promises a whole lot to all of us. What if, what, what's the price that you're willing to pay to know the greatest truth, the greatest being in the universe? But it's more than truth. Uh, truth can sometimes still be abstract. The Bible is life-giving wisdom and relationship with God himself. Your word, it says in verse 105, is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. C.S. Lewis, in reflecting on this once, said, The law of God is like being in the dark, lost in the wilderness, when your feet suddenly find the path. Now, the path may be narrow, but that doesn't mean it's constraining. That path is actually liberating and freeing and hope-giving and life-giving. You know the way to go to arrive at your destination safely. The going is much safer than hoofing it through the brambles and the poison ivy and hoping as you climb the mountain you don't fall off a cliff you can't see in the dark or get stuck in a dead end. The psalmist goes on in 109 and says, I hold my life in my hand continually. Yeah, we get to direct our lives. We get to hold our lives. But he says, but I do not forget your law. Law is one of those terms that's not really inviting to us, but God's law is life-giving. Why? Because God, God's commands lead us to true abundant life and warn us of the dangers along the way. It gives us healthy direction. Uh, verse 111, your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. Doesn't that sound life-giving, the joy of your heart? In the New Testament, one of the words used for law is a word that is actually a picture word. It's plumb line or a straight edge. It's something used in construction. It shows us the way. It helps us build something of quality, something that fits together, something that works, something that is beautiful in our lives. When we think of God's word as life-giving and authoritative in our lives, it, it makes complete sense to us just from a pure logic standpoint. I mean, our Creator would know what brings the greatest fulfillment and greatest joy in life for us. He, he knows us better than we know ourselves. But for most, we don't like the idea of someone, God or otherwise, dictating to us what we should and shouldn't do. 
We would rather follow our own desires, in spite of the fact that I think every single one of us in this room knows that our desires are not always right and good. I don't know of a day or an hour in life where my desires haven't screamed, have some ice cream. If you add apple pie and pumpkin pie, it screams even louder at me. And I know if I had not paid attention to those desires so much, I'd be 20 to 30 pounds lighter than I am today and healthier than I am. Add to that, add to that fact the fact that what people have desired and believed is right and good and, uh, or wrong has changed over time. We can't help but see another layer to the deceitfulness of our desires. If that's what we're going to say, we should lead us. Tim Keller likes to tell an illustration about this. He says it this way. He says, what if you had two men... One a single young professional today from Columbus, and the other a Viking born in the 800s, and they both just walked out of a bar where someone had totally insulted and humiliated them. And as they're walking out the bar, they also see this really attractive young single gay guy walk by and flirt with them. In that moment, they both have two thoughts. The first thought is, I'm so angry I want to go back and kill that guy who just humiliated me. And this gay guy wants to have sex with me. The heart and desires of the Viking from the 800s would say, it's perfectly right and appropriate to defend your honor and go kill this guy. But it's not right to sleep with this guy. The professional man today would say, would say going back and murdering the guy is completely wrong, but if I want to sleep with the guy, it's okay. Now, I'm not trying to make a big commentary on those two points of illustration. I'm just trying to say this. So who decides which desire is right and which desire is wrong? All you have to do is go around the world on a host of different issues, and you will find good-hearted, right-hearted people who have all sorts of contradictory opinions on heartfelt desires and feelings and which of them are right and which of them are wrong. Our heart and our desires can be so very deceitful. It's one of the reasons we need God's Word. It doesn't deceive. It leads us to life. It leads us to things that are life-giving. Another part of the Psalm 119 says, in in verse 116, says, Uphold me according to your promise, your word to me, that I may live, and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Do you trust that God doesn't want you to be put to shame in whatever you're hoping for, whatever you're longing for? Do you trust that God wants justice and truth and cares about you and your reputation? That even when you can't defend yourself, that God is capable of a good plan for your life? That even in the hard times, God promises things for you that are good? See, knowing the stories and the promises of God's word actually help us live in that kind of life-giving hope. Verse 133, keep steady my steps according to your promise. And let no iniquity get dominion, control over me. Verse 176, the psalmist says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. For some of you, reading the Bible this year is going to transform the way you think about who you are and the hope you have for yourself and your life. Because you still find 
anger and past shame and sin defining you and driving you and motivating you and tanking you in life all too often. Your past is still robbing you of peace and joy and hope in your life. And God wants to breathe new life into you this year so that you will see yourself differently and you will live in peace and joy and strength rather than in your past failures. And even when the difficulty is caused by me and my sin, my weakness and inability to love others well, God and his word provide a way to recover, a path to true freedom, to move forward, and, and, and honestly, to move on from your past and your failures. See, my life, your life, is a lot like the game of Jenga. Anybody play Jenga? Your life is this matrix of relationships. You get your family, you got your friends, you got your relationship with boss, colleagues, people who report to you, all the people who work under them, your church, your kids, and all their friends, and all their parents, and the coaches, and all that stuff. And I know some people like Jenga and think it's a fun game. I'm not that person. Jenga to me is pointless. There's no win. Everything just falls apart in the end. Every piece you remove makes the whole structure weaker until at some point too jarring of a movement or the wrong move or simply the only move possible makes it all fall apart. See, whatever part of your life that is not anchored in God and his truth becomes a spot where life or the enemy Satan can come and jostle you and cause your whole house to fall. It can be just one little piece that causes widespread destruction and pain. As a young boy thinking about the Bible, I thought the Bible was primarily a book of heroes who, if I was a really good follower of Jesus, I was supposed to be like them. And I, and I thought the Bible was a book of rules that if I, I was tr- to live up to, if I wanted to have a good life and be blessed by God. And And then as I got older, I realized the Bible was full of practical wisdom and leadership and finances and family and relationships and healing and health. And call me slow, but but now I realize that the Bible is not primarily any of those things. Though it has those things, it's not primarily any of those things. The Bible is primarily one big story of one creator God who loves all all of us so much that he came to rescue us because we have broken the rules and despised our creator's wisdom and created so much harm in our own lives and other people's lives. It is one big captivating story, so big that when we finally learn it, we actually find our place in the story and life starts to make sense. The story is of love that is so captivating, it will redefine every aspect of your life if you let God do it. See, the Bible is primarily a story of God's character, love, and deeds. It's not really about us. The Bible is not primarily about you and me and moral development. The Bible is primarily of God revealing who he is, loving, just, wise, and also merciful. If you hear nothing else, this one point can remove so many of the problems that you may have and other people have with Scripture. 
See, we get so focused on the mischievous, malign, evil characters and acts in the Bible and think, what on earth is the Bible teaching? This is so foul, it can't be true. Instead, we should primarily be focused on God and who he is to those people that we're reading about in that time, even in their sin. And therefore, we learn who he is to us, even in our sin. See, each character in the Bible, excluding Jesus, even the ones who are hailed as heroes of the faith, are not pure role models for us. There are things to emulate in their lives and many things to stay far away from. David teaches us a lot about repentance and forgiveness and restoration and trusting and obeying God when things don't make sense. But even if you move to Utah, you better not emulate him in seven wives and a hundred concubines. And there's a whole lot of other things you shouldn't emulate him on either in his misdeeds. See, what we are to see in these moments in the Bible is how you and I can be like each one of these characters. And in all of their good and evil combined that we see, and then see who God is to them, and therefore we begin to see who God is to us as well. See, we humans have one major foible when it comes to God and justice and mercy. When it's us who have sinned, we want mercy for ourselves. But when it's others who have done really bad stuff, especially if they've done it to us, we want justice for them. So read the Bible, identifying yourself with those sinners you're reading about in the Bible. How you could be just like them. And then you're going to experience, and you're going to see how amazing God really is in his love for you. See, the one big story the Bible tells is of a God who is both just and merciful. He is merciful and sacrificially loving in ways that we would never be if we were in his role. And yet he is also just, and his ways are true. And violating his ways naturally brings pain and difficulty to our lives as we violate the created order. God's laws and mercy are like guardrails on the freeway, meant to save us from greater harm if an accident happens. But if we routinely push up against those boundaries and those guardrails, we will regularly scratch and dent and total our lives, and even Allstate's not going to insure you on that one. See, the lesson here is stop reading the Bible primarily as a prescription manual for morals. It has those. We can glean those truths from it. But start primarily reading the Bible as God's story of lovingly pursuing you and I and wanting to know you and I. So that leaves us with an obvious question. What level of importance does the Bible have in your life? I want to invite you to make 2020 about reading the Bible and meditating on the Bible and let it become a part of you. Now, the best way to illustrate meditation is for me to take you back to a farm illustration, not the level 10 gross story I told you about a little over a year ago. This is just a level 4 gross farm story for you today, okay? Meditation is like a cow chewing its cud. They ingest the grass, they chew it up slowly and swallow it, and then they barf it up, regurgitate it and slowly chew it more 
and they swallow, and they rinse and repeat that cycle until they've squeezed every last ounce of nutrition out of that blade of grass. That's how the life of the Bible gets into you and I in our lives. You think on it. You chew on it. Slowly. You bring it up over and over again into your thinking, your thoughts, and and you observe life around you in light of what you were chewing on. And you let God show you how truth works in you and in your relationships and in every area of your life by just bringing it up constantly and chewing on it. Read it, meditate it, and do it. See, the most amazing thing about Mary that we highlighted at Christmas was the angel came to her and gave her God's word, that, telling her something that she, she couldn't possibly understand. The angel said, you're going to become pregnant by God without ever having sex with a man. And she asked about it. The angel still explained it. There's no way she could have comprehended fully what that meant. And yet, in the end, she also said, all right, let's do this thing, God. Be unto me your, as your word is said. See, if God's word is life to us, we don't actually experience and know that life without living it out, without doing it. Are you willing to live biblically? Not in the satirical, double-flowing, throwing, but saying, God, I may not understand this, but be it unto me as your word has said. Let's do this thing, God. Let's walk this out. See, the best way to really grow in knowing what God has said is to study and meditate on what he has said to us in his words that he's given us in the Bible. So that you one day can say, God, I have stored up, like the psalmist, I've stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you, that I might live in a right and good and healthy way. And then even in your weakness and failure and sin, like we read earlier in 176, I have gone astray. We're all going to go astray. I've lost, I'm a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. I want to live in your ways. I'm just not able to do it right now. Would you come and help me live in your ways? So here's the 2020 action step. I'm going to ask and invite all of you to commit to reading the entire Bible this year. That may sound intimidating to many. I mean, this feels like a big book. and I mean, it's large print, but large print I still need my bifocals for. So, you know, that that could be intimidating. But it doesn't have to be. You can read this whole thing cover to cover in 10 minutes a day. The average American. And and if you're not a reader, recently I've started listening to the Bible while I'm working out. uh, And and, and if you work out and listen or, you know, do laundry or vacuum your house 40 minutes twice a week, you're going to actually get through the Bible a couple times this next year because in two 40-minute workouts I went through 28 chapters of Genesis. So to make this simple for you, I've got a number of things you can walk away with. Everything that's going to come up on the screens right now is also on our Facebook page, so if you don't catch it, you can go to our Facebook page and get it. I want to encourage you to download the YouVersion Bible of the app. If you haven't downloaded that yet, go to your app store, Google, iPhone, whatever, and download it. And I would recommend reading or listening to the ESV version. If you can't do that, the NIV is great as well. I just prefer the ESV just a little bit more. Uh, And you'll notice in the app... Uh, a little play button down there at the bottom. So instead of reading, if you just click that, you're going to have this deep, soothing male voice read you the Bible. And you're going to be able to listen to that. I recommend you actually uh, don't just read it straight through cover to cover. What I recommend is you read a chronological Bible. The books in the Bible are not 
laid out in order of when they happened. They're laid out by type of literature. So reading a chronological Bible will help it make sense to you because when you're reading the historical events, you'll get to read the prophets who were talking at about the same time those historical events were happening. It'll just make a lot more sense to you how it all lays out to do that. And where scholars don't know for sure the chronology, for sure they tend to group the text by topic. So one day you might read a psalm and you might read another portion of scripture and they actually are talking about kind of the same topic and they complement each other. It just makes it easier. If you don't have an iPhone, you don't want to do it that way. You can get your computer out at home and you can go to two websites that are on the screen, BibleGateway.com, BibleStudyTools.com, and you can do that. Again, that's on there. For you paper lovers, we've got some of these out on the usher stand out in the lobby. You can pick this up. This is going to tell you every day of the, every day of the year what to read if you want to do that. Even simpler than this paper version, if you're a paper lover, if you can afford it, go buy a chronological Bible. That way you don't need this paper. You just read each day. It'll map it out for you, and you just get to read. It's all in order. It's awesome. Uh, in fact, if you're here today and you are concerned that I, your finances aren't in a position where you can afford a Bible, I actually had someone come to me before the first service and say, anybody who can't afford a chronological Bible who wants one, I will buy one for them. So come talk to me if you need help getting a Bible. We'll get you a Bible uh, so you can read it. And, and one last thing. This is a really fantastic uh, it says the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's written for kids, but I got a lot of pastors who read it in preparation for messages. It is so well written. Adults love reading it. And I would recommend, if you, especially for you families, get this book. Read one story a night at the dinner table or right before bed, and you will get through the whole Bible, and you will get an amazing picture of the whole Bible doing that. It's really an awesome resource. Again, the link to buy that as well is on our Facebook page. And we're going to, initially throughout this, you're going to be fo- posting on our Facebook page different things that will help you, different aids that will help you learn to understand and most importantly, meet God as you study the Bible. In fact, men, one of the things you guys told me this last year that you really wanted to address in our men's breakfast this year was exactly this. How do I make my devotional times meaningful and alive? So I want to invite you to join me this Saturday at 8 a.m. We're going to actually start tackling that as one of the topics this week. How do we Uh, in relation to the Bible. How do we read the Bible, study it in a way that it really makes sense and we really connect with God in that? And we're going to give you a number of different ways and we're going to practice one or two of them in our time together on Saturday. So 8 o'clock, right out here in the cafe. Let me leave you with this today. We've asked this question a number of times, but it's a really important question. If God is intent on knowing you, so intent that he'd come to earth as Jesus, then what are you willing to do get to know him, if he puts that much effort into you. The Bible is the most catalytic, uh, most influential book in all of history, and that's not just my biased opinion. In spite of how evil men have abused it across, across, across history, the Bible has inspired more expressions of beauty and societal advancement in terms of moral, morals, in the arts, in social justice, in social structure, in marriage, and family, and every good way it has done so in than more so than any other book ever in human history the only question left i think for us is this what would be inspired in your life if you made your this the year of the bible for you what great things would happen in your life if you passionately engage with scripture this entire year would you stand with me as we pray
Lord, I'm just so grateful that you are a big God, that you created all that exists and that you love us so much that you would come to us and, and, and that you would give us this revelation of who you are that comes from you called the Bible. Lord, I know it's oftentimes hard to understand and we've struggled with it and so, some stories are off-putting, but Lord, for each and every one of us here today, would you help us this year to know you better, to understand your words in the Bible better, that we would find the freedom, the life, the wisdom, the hope, and the joy that you promised for us. And Lord, even now as we transition our service to worship and taking communion, Lord, we're just so grateful that you came as Jesus in the flesh and that as we take the bread, we get to remember that you came so purposefully to be close to us. And that's how you want to be close to us today as well. Our Lord, we remember that you shed your blood for us, that, that you could be that God who is both just and merciful, that you would actually pay the price for us, for our sin, so that you could offer us forgiveness and mercy. And Lord, we just revel in the astounding magnitude of that kind of love. So Lord, I pray as we come and receive communion and worship, would you come by your spirit right now and make that something very personal, very real for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.